We have, uh, as of last week, finished up the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, and now we're going to return back to the new. Here at CBBC, we like to kind of go between both the Old and New Testament and look at different genres of Scripture. So today we're fast-forwarding 600 years from last week, from Isaiah to the book of Acts. Over the last two falls, we've taken sections of Acts as we're working our way through, and this fall, Lord willing, will be our last section in Acts. For the next 13 weeks, we'll be studying this New Testament book. This is the book, the fifth book of the Bible, right after the four Gospels. So if, you've, if you're maybe new to the Bible, new to church, welcome. Uh, Acts is the book that follows what happens the moments after Jesus ascends back to the Father. He has died, he has resurrected, and now the church movement has begun. And this, journeys, this shows the journey of missionaries and local churches as Christianity begins to spread around the world. So this is a book of history, but obviously it's a book of much spiritual encouragement and commands for us. So for the next 13 weeks, we're mostly going to be looking at the character of Paul, the most famous Uh, church planter and missionary there is. And today we're going to be looking at a passage at the end of Acts 15 into Acts 16 where we see Paul traveling. So if you have a Bible, please open up to Acts 15. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one under your seat or in front of you. It's on page 924. 924. So as we go throughout this series, I encourage you, um, if you If you've not signed up for our church emails, I encourage you to do that because you will get the passage a few days ahead of time. I would encourage you to read it prior so that we can come ready and excited for the Lord to sanctify us. Acts chapter 15, we'll start in verse 36 and read to verse 15 of chapter 16. This is the word of the Lord. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, Paul wanted wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, 
and the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we spoke where we were supposed to, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. That is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, may you sanctify us through this passage this morning by your Spirit. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Our passage here has four scenes. And in your English translation, you see that in the four paragraphs of this story. So the first scene involves a disagreement. Disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Two missionaries, two partners in the gospel. They have a conflict and they separate, they go their own ways. Scene two reveals that as Paul goes his own way, he meets another disciple, a new friend named Timothy. Scene three reveals that Paul made plans to go to this place and to this place, and yet that opportunity was shut down, closed door. And scene four reveals that as he went to this city he didn't mean to go to, things happened. Lives were changed. The gospel went out. And at first glance, these seem to be just four kind of random historical moments in the life of Paul. But the more we read them, the more we're going to realize that these are not random stories, but these four go together and they're teaching us something important. In the first scene, right, if this disagreement, this conflict wouldn't have happened, scene two, scene three, and scene four wouldn't have happened either. If there wasn't a conflict, Paul wouldn't have made a great friend and a new gospel partner in Timothy. And if Paul's plans hadn't have failed in scene three, he wouldn't have reached Philippi with the gospel, and Lydia would still be dead in her sins. So what this narrative, these four scenes are teaching us is that though we hate conflict, And though we hate disagreement and we hate when closed doors happen and we miss opportunities or we have failed attempts, those are hard to live with. But God even uses that stuff to accomplish his purpose and his will. In this moment of disagreement, Paul was frustrated, angry, emotional, feeling off. And yet over time, God even used that feeling off to produce something for good. For Paul's good, for God's glory, and even God uses the stuff that you hate in your life for his glory and for our good. We just at times don't see it. And this is the main point of our passage and our sermon, that God is working in all things, and God works all things to his purposed end. God is working in all things. And all here means every single thing. And God works all things to his purposed end. There's a theological word for this, and the word providence. 
Providence means God is working, but he's working towards something. There's a goal, an end. He's not just a king ruling without a plan. He's not just sitting there waiting to see how the chips will fall. He's never sleeping on the job. No, all things happen. Even the stuff we hate and the stuff we try to avoid, God will work in it for a purpose. So, general rule here, an absolute rule, if something happens, God is working. In other words, all of history is the workings of God from every nation to every world event to every election to every, you know, dead car battery that happens to every surprise in your life to the fact that we have delayed cabinets for our new renovation area coming in who knows when. (laughs) Even every blade of grass, God is working in. Now, to be honest, I do not know, nor do you, the purposes of what is going on in Afghanistan right now. We don't know. I don't know, looking at my life, all the purposes for why, over a couple years, I lost friends in a tragic way. I don't know. I'm not promising you, nor is the Bible promising you, that you're going to know every single reason and purpose behind every event in your life. But let me tell you, God is sovereign over every single thing in this world, and it has a purpose and an end and a goal. And I love this quote by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. When you cannot trace his hand, you can trust his heart. We may not be able to see how all the puzzle pieces go together, right? We want that. We want to know every single thing. We want to Google every single problem and question that we have. We want all the knowledge, and yet in life we won't get it. But we can trust the God who's over the puzzle, and we know his heart. And in our passage today, there are two hiccups, two problems that Paul faces, and these are not just some abstract religious problems. These are things that you are going to deal with every year of your life. There's going to be conflict, disagreement, relational tension. There's going to be closed doors. You make plans, and guess what happens? It shuts on you. These are real-life things, and it's in the Bible. I love the honesty of the Bible. And we're going to see even in these obstacles, these problems, these hiccups, that God is ruling so let's look first at the, at the disagreement. We're going to call this point, a disagreement leads to a friendship. In verse 36, chapter 15, we see that Paul and Barnabas clash. Now, prior to this, Barnabas was the biggest supporter of Paul. When Paul was saved, right? Paul was a persecutor. He was killing Christians. And yet Barnabas is the one who, after Paul is saved, comes alongside and says, hey, we can trust Paul. He's been made new. I'm his friend. I'm his supporter. I'm his encouragement. So they were friends. They were leading Christians of the day, traveling together to evangelize about the kingdom of God. They were a team. And yet here in our passage, we see that Paul and Barnabas start fighting. Paul wants to go back to the churches they've already planted. And Barnabas says, that's fine, but we're going to bring with us John Mark. And Paul says, no, no, no. You are not bringing John Mark. John Mark, back in chapter 13, left us hanging high and dry. He went back home. Why are we going to bring someone who's not as committed as us? And Barnabas is saying, whoa, I'm the encourager. 
Let's support this guy. Let's give him a second chance or a third chance. Let's bring him with us. And for some reason, this became a feud, a clashing point. In verse 39, it says, There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from one another. This disagreement, this conflict, this separation, it did not please God. When brothers in the faith argue and separate and divide, that does not bring glory to God. And we don't know who was right here. We don't know if Barnabas was right. We don't know if Paul was right. We don't have all of the facts and all of the details. But unfortunately, this brings separation. Now, to give you the good ending, which we don't always get the good ending, by the way, but the good ending is later on in Paul's life, him and John Mark reconcile. But here, two teammates, two brothers, two missionaries divide, and Barnabas takes John Mark to Cyprus, and Paul takes another man, Silas, and they go another direction. All because of a conflict. Now, have you had sharp disagreements in your life? Have you had a conflict lately? Maybe it's someone in your home. Maybe it's a child-parent thing. Maybe it's a coworker or a boss. Conflict is not fun. There is raised emotions. There's insulting and damaging words. There's feeling of the tension after it happens. And we have all those fights and those conflicts. Sometimes they begin over how to organize a dishwasher or who's responsible for picking up the kids after school. But then maybe you've been in a big fight or lots of little fights that turned into something big. Maybe you are no longer speaking with a loved one. Maybe your marriage ended because of conflict after conflict or you lost a friendship over a conflict and now things are just awkward when you see them. Now the Lord grieves over this. He grieves over division, and yet even conflicts, even division and divorce and separation and tensions, these things are not too bad or too negative or too strong for God to display His grace and His power and His transformation. God actually uses hard things like conflict, and we see that in the next scene. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him, and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their own way through their cities, they delivered to them for the observance of decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Again, just seems like a random story, but Paul lost a missionary and a friend through a disagreement, but then here he makes a new friend, Timothy, and for the rest of Paul's life, for the next few decades, Timothy was his closest friend and gospel partner and encouragement. So Paul comes to Lystra meets this young man, Timothy, and Timothy was so dedicated to the gospel, and he was so dedicated to travel with Paul to reach Jews, that Timothy became circumcised as an adult. That is commitment. 
And he did this so there would be no objection from the Jews to receive Timothy. Timothy, like Paul, wanted nothing to prevent his ministry to the Jews and the world. So Paul, in coming to this town without Barnabas, found a new friend, a new brother in Christ, a new missionary partner. And it says in verse 4, they went through the cities together and strengthened the churches. The Lord brought friendship through a sharp disagreement. Through relational turmoil, God brought fellowship. God even used disagreement for His glory and our good. That is how powerful and how kind God is. He even takes the mess of life that we often have, the hurt of people, and He has a purpose for it. Now, I do think we should stop here for a second and talk about conflict. Just because this story ends with good things, of good coming from disagreement, doesn't mean you should just sit in your bitterness or in your relational conflict and do nothing about it. Right. So do you have a problem with someone? Does someone have a problem with you? What can you do to be like Christ in that moment? And I'm not going to tell you some general rules here because everything seems to be different, every situation. But how can you be like Christ in your conflict? Don't wallow in bitterness or complaint or judgment. Seek out restoration if it's possible. To talk to them honestly. Seriously, if someone comes to your mind right now, have you prayed for them? How can you be like Christ with them? And maybe you will know what to do and you'll do it and guess what? It might work. And guess what? You might do it and it may not work, but you sought to be like Christ. And no matter what happens, if there's restoration, if there's reconciliation, or if there's peace, if there's not peace, God is over all things and working them for a purpose. God will receive the glory. But it doesn't stop here. This narrative continues. Let's look at the second point. We'll call it a closed door that leads to an open heart. I apologize for the corniness. Look at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's Paul and Timothy, traveling and sharing the gospel, encouraging uh, churches. But at the end of verse 6, we see something very interesting. It says, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word or the gospel in Asia. I mean, think about it. Paul is a missionary taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He says, I want to go to Asia with the gospel. They need Jesus. And we think that's a great idea. And yet it says the Spirit stopped him from going. This is not a sinful plan. It's not a misguided plan. He saw a need. He wanted to take the gospel there, and yet it didn't work out. And then again in verse 7, Paul wanted to go to Bithynia. And it says the Spirit of Jesus. So Jesus, working through the Holy Spirit, did not allow them to go. 
So again, a missionary wanted to take the gospel somewhere, and God prevented them from going. He couldn't get there. Now, we don't know how the Holy Spirit did this. Could have been bad weather, could have been a problem with the ship, it could have been the Spirit talking to him, I don't know what it was, but twice God himself does not allow Paul's plans to work. God closed this door on Paul, and look, it was a good idea, good intentions. He wanted to evangelize. Would you say evangelism is a bad idea? And yet, in God's sovereignty, it didn't work out. Twice. So let me ask you, have you run into any closed doors in your life? Have you sought out a job and you went through an interview and you had your hopes up and yet you didn't get it? Have you maybe pursued a degree and life hit you hard and you got busy and you never finished? Have you had an idea, even an idea for ministry and the gospel, and yet it failed or it didn't get traction or you didn't get volunteers? Have you been left unsuccessful or disappointed in life. Well, welcome to life. And even Paul, the greatest missionary and church planter, the character in the New Testament, he felt this and he had a good, good plan and yet it failed. It did not work out. And over a year ago, a team of us from church were ready, equipped, packed to do ministry in Mexico. That week, the week of, we were ready to go, had a team meeting, had our passports, packing lists, plane tickets, excited to go see kids as we're going to do VBS and evangelize the kids, ready to go, and guess what happened? We didn't get to go. The COVID shutdown happened, and we didn't get to go share the gospel with children. Now, is the Lord against the sharing of His good news? No. But if we look at Paul's story, we see that God had a purpose, and his purposes always win. And we don't fully understand why the Spirit prevented Paul from going to Asia or our team from going to Mexico. But we do trust God. He has a purpose. All history, even a small closed door in your life, God is working in and working towards a specific end. And do you trust that even if you don't know what that purpose or end is? But for Paul, thankfully, something good came out of this closed door. I don't know how many days or weeks or months went by after being shut down, but they arrived here in Philippi. Look at verse 12. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Paul would not have come to Philippi at this time, nor would he have met Lydia unless the Lord prevented him from going to Asia and Bithynia. He gets to Philippi, a big city, a leading cultural city full of pagan gods and money and earthly pleasures and politics. And Paul, as was his custom when he comes to a city, is to go to where the Jews are. 
He was a Jew by, by birth, by education, Jew by former religion. He's going to go speak to them, pray with them, and talk to them about Jesus. And he finds this group of Jewish women, and one of them named Lydia. And I mentioned she was a seller of purple goods. The word goods there often means clothing. So she had purple cloth. And at that time, that meant she was wealthy. She was wealthy. It was expensive to have purple linen. There was a huge process involving like seashells and all these things that turned this cloth into purple. And it took time. It took many. So she had a lot of prominence. And also, she was a Jew. It says she was a worshiper of God. She was an Old Testament Jew, which means she did not know Jesus yet. So here's Paul coming to Philippi, not by his plan. This was a detour. This is not where he wants to be. And yet he meets this wealthy woman, and he begins to teach her and the other women about Jesus. And at the end of verse 14, it says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. God directed Paul to Philippi, though Paul had no plan to go there, but God had a plan, and God's first part of that plan was to save Lydia. The phrase, the Lord opened her heart, is the same phrase that's true for every single one of you who have repented and believed in Jesus. Though from our eyes, right? It's us. We heard the gospel with our ears. We chose Jesus. We chose to receive it. Well, guess what? That's just part of the picture. Behind the scenes that we cannot see with our eyes, God is the one who's opening the soul of our heart. God is the one who's stirring our affections for Jesus. God is the one who is showing us before the eyes of our soul that we are sinful. God is the one who's directing our ears to listen to the gospel. God is the one who saves. Now, does that mean that we have no part and no roles and we are just robots? No. Right now, you are choosing to listen or not. I have no idea. <laughs> you are choosing to hone in on the sermon. You are choosing to scan your eyes down and look at your Bible. And yet behind the scenes, God is stirring your heart. God is causing those ears to listen. He's giving them power. You do you, what you want, but guess what? God does too. The Lord opened Lydia's heart. He's not just directing Paul in travel plans. He's directing very hearts and souls of people. He was sovereign in opening her heart to hear. And she heard the gospel, and she believed, and she responded to the gospel, how Christians have been called to respond to the gospel, with baptism. She publicly proclaims her allegiance, and then she allows the other Christians, Paul and his, his posse of Timothy and others, to come into her house for hospitality, for Christian friendship and fellowship. So God may have closed the door on Paul, but he opens the heart of Lydia. And next week, there's going to be another story that happens in Philippi, where God continues to do amazing things through Paul, though there was a closed door. Because to us, it looks like Paul's, Paul's travel plans just absolutely failed. It looks like he walked into a closed door, but in reality, in the eyes of God, there was no failure. God was always directing Paul to Philippi. That was his purpose. That was his journey. God didn't just make a mistake. God didn't just put pieces together. No, that was always the plan. It just took time for Paul to see it. And you and I are benefiting from this closed door of Paul. 
A couple books later in our New Testament, there's a letter called Philippians. A letter Paul wrote years later on to the church of Philippi. Many of you have probably read that book several times. It's the book of joy. We are reading in our Bible the book of Philippians because Paul had a closed door and went to Philippi where Lydia and others were saved and soon enough a church was planted and it was a prominent church and Paul wrote a letter to them and now that's in our Bibles. And the Lord sanctifies us and he saves us through the book of Philippians. So even us, almost 1,500 years later, 2,000 years later, we are benefiting from Philippi. Even when our plans seem to fail, God's plan never fails. He always succeeds. His purposes stand, though things may look rough and disappointing. And yes, they are absolutely rough and disappointing at times. Be honest about it. But God always works them towards an end goal. And we see this most clearly in the life and death of Jesus. We think travel plans are rough. I think a delayed cabinet is rough. And yet where we have Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, perfectly obedient and righteous, crucified. That is a tragedy. That is a trouble. And God the Father grieved over that tragedy, that a holy man was condemned to death, and yet it was through the death, the most unspeakable act of sin, that we have salvation. Through the murder of a perfectly innocent man who was God, that we have the blessing of salvation and fellowship right now this morning. God works through the troubles and trials of life to bring grace into this world. And we see that chiefly through our leader, Jesus Christ. Now in a minute, a couple minutes, I'm not done yet, but as you stand up, as you walk out of these doors... Every step you take, you will be walking under the providence of God. Every step. There's not one thing that you do that God does not know. There's not one thing that God is not going to use for His glory. There's nothing going on where there's not His purposes. Or as R.C. Sproul said, there's not one stray molecule in this universe running around loose. We live under the providence of God. But I want to end with some application and some thoughts. Okay, three applications, right? You have two sermon points, but three applications. It's called preacher math, okay? (laughs) How to live under the providence of God. And I want to be upfront with you. You may not fully, you like these points, but you may want more. Right? We all, okay, when I was growing up, Kind of a rabbit trail here, but we had a, um, a fortune reader business down the road from where we lived. And I always was wondering, like, why? who calls them? Who goes in? We kind of would mock them, but the thing's still in business 20 years later. I think it comes down to our desire as humans that we will do whatever it takes for us to know what's going to happen. We want to know the why behind everything. We want to know what's next. The problem there is you're looking at the wrong thing, and that thing's actually dangerous. But I'm not going to give you today a crystal ball, right? Some of you are walking in here, 
with suffering or anxiety or trouble. You're wondering, how much longer am I going to live in this mundane life? And you're wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing right now? I don't see you. What are you doing behind the scenes? We all want to know this. And I'm not going to give you some crystal ball, but I do want to give you three things to keep in mind that I believe are biblical and wise. Not a crystal ball, I won't promise you that. But I think these three things... If you keep these in mind and you apply them, you can live rightly with joy and contentment in the providence of God, no matter what you face. So the first thing is this. Expect God to bring grace out of a troubling situation. Okay, expect God to bring grace out of a troubling situation. The next time you find yourself upset or disappointed or hurting, remember this. God loves to bring grace out of trouble. God has always done this. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, the very beginning of our earthly history, Adam and Eve sin. They disobey God to God's face. They reject and resist Him. And even after they disobey Him directly, what does God do? He unleashes His grace upon them. He forgives them. He sustains their life. He gives them children. He gives them life. And He promises to crush Satan. Why? Because he loves to bring grace out of a troubling situation. Look at the story of Joseph, sold into slavery, accused falsely, lost his prestige, and then guess what? Grace upon grace. Not only does he find grace, but the people of Egypt and Israel find grace because of him. Paul, out of a personal conflict, God brought forth a new relationship and friendship. That is grace. Now, this does not mean that every one of your problems is going to be wrapped up in a little bow. Doesn't mean that if you get fired from a job tomorrow, that you're going to be given a job offer that pays seven times more on Tuesday. That's called prosperity gospel, and that's heretical. But God is the God of grace, and He will unleash it upon you in some way. He's the one who redeems and transforms and forgives. He will give you joy in the midst of trouble. That is a grace. Maybe He will use your trials and your problems to help someone else and minister to them. That is grace. So as you suffer, as you have a door shut in your face, expect God to be God, and that means to unleash His grace upon you. And you may not see it in a year, maybe not in 30 years, but God takes what is broken and He redeems it. But secondly, remember this, that suffering, failures, or disappointments in life are not necessarily consequences from God. Though we live in a very atheistic age, right, an age opposed to God, we also at the same time live in a very spiritual age. Now, most of the spirituality out there we would call false and wrong according to the Bible. But our culture loves what we call karma. We love the idea of what comes around goes around, that if I do this, then later on I will get this as a a reward, or I'll get this as a consequence, as if we can mathematically predict and lay out our future. But as we saw earlier, we cannot trace the hand of God. So I want to encourage you, some of you, you've endured terrible tragedy. You have been hurt and left and abandoned and abused. You've been fired. You've been unsuccessful. Those things that happen are awful, and they are not consequences from God. It's not because you're not good enough. 
It's not because you messed up when you were younger. These are not consequences from God. Now, does God punish? Absolutely. Does God sometimes take things away from us to wake us up? Absolutely. But don't view every trouble or trial or difficulty as a direct consequence from God. Paul was shut down from spreading the gospel. Do you think that was a consequence? Our God is bigger and kinder and more mysterious than the false God of karma. Troubles will come, loss will happen, doors will be closed, and yet God will be kind. God is leading us somewhere. So remember, don't read into every circumstance or event as a sign of a consequence from God. If you want to know how God works, read the Bible, look at history. It's clear, it's been revealed. Look there first and not first at your experiences to interpret God. But lastly, you may be wondering, if God is working in all things, then what is he doing right now in my life? Because I don't see it. Third thing here is, do you want to know what God is doing in your life? Do you want to know God's will for your life? Pursue him now. Pursue him for the long term. And then look back. You're sitting here after a week of hurt, wondering why you had to endure this. You may have had a year of absolute disappointments. You hear this sermon and you think that is so unrealistic. There's no way God is working with what I'm going through in life after a year full of cancer or wars or closed doors or funerals. How is God going to work through this? And we wish we could open up to a page in the Bible where it would say, this is what God is doing in the background of Troy's life. And we'd be like, okay, I'm good. I can endure this trial because I know it's coming. We wish we knew that. But what God's will is in the midst of our trouble or suffering, we don't know yet. But I want to recommend three things. So whether you are facing a terrible situation right now or you are happily zooming through life, do these three things and you will see how God's working in your life. Firstly, you pursue God. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, that God's will for your life is sanctification. To be like Christ. That's your goal. His primary, most important priority for you is that you look more like Christ. So before you think about what business decision to make or what school to send your kids to or if you should date that guy or not, pursue God. Read your Bible. Know it. Digest it. Know how God has revealed himself to us. Pray. Know God personally through prayer. Come to church. Gather with other Christians. Fellowship. Learn from one another. Sing. Hear sermons. Befriend each other. Do these things that God has given to us to make us more like Christ. So even if trouble comes or anxiety or doors close, you can confidently know I am walking in the ways of God. If you pursue him honestly and then cancer comes, you can know that is part of God's will. If a closed door appears and you're pursuing God, then you know, okay, God didn't want that for me. That's okay. He knows best. Pursue him. His will for you, okay, his will for you is him. But secondly, pursue God long term. Make it your five-year, your 10-year, your 50-year goal to be more like Christ. Not just right now so that your situation gets cleaned up by God. No, you pursue him long term. Make it the goal for the rest of your life to love him. So every year you know your Bible more. 
Every year your prayers become more personable and honest and consistent. Let your love and involvement and fellowship at a church be more every year. Because every year you're going to face different trials and circumstances and troubles. And they're going to change all the time. And if you don't have your life purpose, your long-term goal set, then all of the troubling situations and circumstances and changing things, they're going to ruin you. But if you have God on the horizon... These things won't wreck you. Because Christianity is not just a one-month clean-up diet plan. It's long-term. It's obedience in the long way for a long time. Thirdly, you want to see what God's doing. You pursue Him, pursue Him long-term, and then you look back. If you pursue God and you do it for a while, you look back at your life. Maybe, you know, hypothetical, in 2000, maybe 2011, 10 years ago, we'll say, you had a business and it went bankrupt. You had no idea why that would happen. You had anxiety, you had stress, you had failure, and you couldn't figure out why God would allow it. And yet, maybe now, 10 years later, you look back and you say, wow, look at all the grace of God. He brought me new friendships. He caused me to trust in him more. Maybe you were given a new job or a new idea that you actually find better. They always say hindsight is 2020. And when you look back, you can see how God was painting his grace for you. One of the things I hear from all the time from many of you, when you come in and you share your testimony, you share hardship in your life, you often say this, but God knew what he was doing. You can only see that with time. In the moment, you don't see it. But when you look back, you will see grace upon grace, and you will say, God did have a plan. God did take care of me, and that will give me the endurance right now in the midst of this new trial to know that maybe in a year or five years or 50 years or in eternity, I can look back and say, yes, God, you were faithful. So it comes down to this. God is working in all things, and all things are working for his purposes. We want to know all things. We want to be in control of all things. But that's the hard thing. And yet the best thing about being a child of God is that we have given up our control to him. We live under his sovereignty and his rule, and we can free ourselves from being in control. And that's a good thing because we're not very good at it. But in all things, God is working, and he is trustworthy, and he is kind, and he is loving, and he is strong. And there's no one else we would rather have to direct the galaxies, the world events, the blades of grass, or our lives than God. And we get God. And church, God has us in his hands, and that is good news. And he is working all things for our good and his glory, even when we cannot see it. Let's pray. Father, may you receive all glory and honor and praise from our lives, from this church, from all of history, from every waving blade of grass today. For you are good and great. And thank you that we as a church get to fully trust in you with everything that, fa that we face. Whether it, be, whether it be plans that we make, they get pushed back, whether it be a need for you to provide nursery volunteers or whether it be for our salvation, we trust fully in your hands and you take care of us. 
You are a great and kind God. We love you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand.